0: Hey, everybody. On today's show, I sit down with Kristen Donnelly of Abbey Research. Kristen and her partner started Abbey Research in 2015, and they help other organizations get the data and the information they need to build resilient companies and resilient leaders truly meaningful stuff and as one of the busiest women that i know Kristen is always managing multiple projects traveling all over the country and she does it with a grace and ease that i haven't seen many people do or accomplish so she shares on the show today how she prioritizes what she delegates and how she manages it all and makes it look so easy she has some really cool surprises in there for you so stay tuned My name is Emmy Kirshner. I'm a serial entrepreneur and investor. The one thing that I get asked all the time is, how do you achieve success in business and make an impact? In each episode of the Tribe of Leaders podcast, you'll hear from entrepreneurs and visionaries who share how their leadership has changed not only their lives, but the lives of everybody around them. Hey everybody, it's Emmy Kirshner again with the Tribe of Leaders podcast and today I have the distinct pleasure to be hanging out with my good friend, Kristen Donnelly of Abbey Research. You are the founder and executive director, or excuse me, executive vice president. Sure. You're you're like the woman in charge. Largely, yes. Yeah. (laughs) one who has to make the
1: hard decisions. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm really glad to have you here. Just for everybody in the audience, we've had some really cool conversations about leadership, but you have a really cool story. So share a little bit about you and your background and what you're doing at Abbey Research, because I think it's so profound. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So
1: um, I was raised in a family business, which is really where everything started for me. I started thinking about leadership when I was nine. And I was recovering from surgery and my dad started paying me to write book reports for him. So he started, he bought a company when I was seven Mm -hmm. that manufactures dyes and colorants. You've used us, for instance, if you've ever taken Advil, because we make the color for that. And he started kind of training me in that Mm -hmm. way to think about leadership and to think about leadership as service and how do we um, incorporate really deep listening into leadership. So I worked at the family business for a little bit because you do, that's like the law. But then my dad's rule for both my brother and I was that we had to do other things before we would come back full time. So mine was to do school. I went, I did my undergraduate and then I went and I did a year of voluntary work in Northern Ireland. Mm -hmm. And then I went and I have two master's degrees from Baylor University, one in social work, which is the profession I will stand for forever. I'm so proud to be a social worker. And the other one is in cross-cultural religious anthropology, which essentially means that I spent a lot of time thinking about how what people believe affects how they live. And then I went on to get a PhD in sociology of religion where I kept asking that question. And Mm -hmm. I got that in Belfast, Northern Ireland. Wow. Uh, yeah, which is where I met both my husband and my business partner when I was doing my PhD. So my business partner is also an American. We just met, we happened to live over there. Her name's Dr. Erin Hinson. So we call ourselves the good doctors of Abbey research
0: <laughs> as my, TV and, show, right?
1: <laughs> yeah. as my PhD was wrapping up and my husband and I were having to make some really tough immigration decisions because nothing is simple when you are a couple of two different nationalities. Right. Um, We talked to my family and kind of said, like, is this the time that's right for me to come back full time? And they said, yeah, we'd love to figure out if we could do HR as social work. So could we actually bring you in to do in-house social work part-time and then also part-time take kind of all of this academic knowledge that you have um, and do something with it? And Mm -hmm. I was like, Be fantastic. So, in long conversations with both Aaron, my partner, my husband John, and then the rest of my family, we realized that the academy was not the place for Aaron and I. It is just, it's a lot of circular conversations, and we're just too pragmatic for that. It's too stressful. So, and really, what we're trained to do is analyze organizations. Like, that's what social science PhDs are. So, and we both did. Um, person-to-person interviewing for our PhDs as well as book research so mm-hmm. I did a whole organizational analysis that was my PhD I wrote a whole book on an organization so about two two and a half years ago we started Abby research and what we do now is essentially we help folks figure out how to be resilient we don't like strong or healthy language because everything's a spectrum right. and you could be really really healthy in one area and totally dysfunctional in another and so how do you talk about that right so we help train folks to the building blocks of resiliency so they can handle any catastrophe from petty to catastrophic. And in the meantime I'm also the COO for the rest of the family company. So I spend some of I spend my time where I'm not getting to hang out as the good doctor doing HR and compliance and hiring and firing and sales and everything else for the other four or five companies that are in our network.
0: Right. So, so this is what I'm really curious about because you travel I do. Right. You have your own, um, you know, video recorded podcast, right? That I w- that was on a f- little while ago. You are helping with the family business. You're managing um, Abby research, right? You yep. have a personal life. How do you do it all and still stay sane? Oh, gosh.
1: Well, a couple things. First, I get asked this a lot, as you can imagine. Yeah. Um, I have a lot of plates in the air. The first thing is that I have the best team around me in the world and I have zero fear of delegation. So I have zero and by delegating, I mean everything. Like if I can't do my grocery shopping that week, I call my mother. And if I don't feel like I can get the house cleaned, we call a cleaner in my husband takes care of most of the home stuff because he is not, does not travel. He works a really standard eight to four job and is home. And he works 20 minutes away. I work an hour away, like that kind of thing, even when I'm home in the office. So we have really, so in that way, my business partner, Aaron does almost all the kind of admin graphic design, editing behind the scenes stuff to keep Abby research running. We are huge fans of automation tools. We could not do what we do without Trello, um, oh, yeah, Slack things like that.
0: I love Slack.
1: Slack is my favorite thing in the world. Um so we do all that but then to be also completely frank i made choices about my priorities so i knew i could not raise both companies and children and i felt called to companies so we are not having kids and that helps a lot i think especially for women i could not be an effective mother and an effective leader that's not in my dna
0: and so, you i want to honor that i think like having made that decision like for you is fantastic and it's a really hard choice, regardless of which way, have kids, not work, do both, yeah, you know, just work or have your business and like, kudos to you. Thanks. I going to celebrate.
1: No, oh, thanks. I think it's, I, I'm really passionate about talking about it with women too, because I have so many colleagues who have kids and they never stop to think about whether or not that was the calling. Yeah. I take parenthood really, really seriously, which is why I'm not doing it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Well, and that's awesome. And then it's really the stopping and thinking about like, whether it's the business or the kids or yeah. where the priority of both is and what that looks like. That's um, not an easy decision. And I think a lot of people feel very judged about it.
1: Oh my, I mean, I can tell you, I do. Like, it's to, yeah. like, I say it very confidently, but like, it is exhausting to constantly talk about, like, as soon as we got married, we started getting asked when we were going to have kids. We're married about almost six years, Actually, yeah. next in two weeks, we'll be six years. Congratulations! Um, oh, thanks. I don't know how we did it, but, um, I mean like taxi drivers would ask us and yeah. like, and so my husband gets almost no pushback. Like he'll yeah. just say, Oh, I'm not having kids. And people drop the conversation. I, I say, I'm not having kids. And people are like, Oh, but you'll change your mind.
0: Right.
1: No, thank you. I actually made this decision when I was 18 and I realized the calling on my life, but thank you so much for budding your opinion about my procreative choices into this conversation that we're having in the McDonald's drive through. Like, yeah, Yeah. um, I think it's a real, one of the, actually the resources that we're producing this year for Abby research is 25 networking questions that have nothing to do with partners or children. I love it. Um, We realize that we've been in so many women only spaces, especially my, my Aaron is not married and does not have a long-term partner. Neither one of us has children. And yet, that seems to be the only conversation at women's networking events we go to. And so, and we realize it's just out of like default. So, yeah. we are spending a lot of time right now researching and brainstorming and testing questions to ask that have the, about your personal life and about your personal, your personhood to get to know people that don't assume partners or children.
0: Yeah, I love it. I love it because my go to is business. But if I'm in a non business setting, you've got to have those backup things.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think our, the best one that we've asked so far is what is the, most recent meal in your life you'd like to recreate, either food or company.
0: I love it. I love it.
1: So, and then you can talk to us about your kids if yeah. you've got them, but I haven't asked you if you have kids. Which exactly.
0: Is, and, you know, we asked that question when I helped my first community table event a couple of weeks ago, and we had, I mean, people were living on their phones talking about where they'd been because they had this room, yeah. blah, blah, blah. So that's a great, like, ask that, people. Like, that's a great ask people about opener. food. We
1: all have opinions, and we all love it. It is like... Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. When I go into really toxic organizations, usually the first thing I ask is, When's the last time you guys had a potluck? Right? Like, what are you talking about? I was like, Oh my God, do a potluck. <laughs> You'll be amazed at how quickly people will bring the food they love. Like, yeah. yeah.
0: So I'm curious too, and I want to circle back into your ability to delegate really well. And this question really, I think, ties into prioritizing too. As you were making this decision of like, you know, do I want to focus on my career or do I want to have kids or do I want to find some marriage of, you know, how that a book What were some of the things you asked yourself? Hmm.
1: That's a great question. I made this decision so long ago. So know that I was also okay. like 17, 18. And there are still days where I go, like I mentally check in with myself, like, especially when I spend, cause we, I love children. My husband loves children. I have some health questions to whether or not we weren't even sure it would be easy for me to get pregnant. So the, that question was introduced into my life very early on. Um, right. so that I will admit helped some of our discussions. Like we were about three months in starting to get serious. And I was like, Hey, just so you know, this isn't part of my future. So if it's a mandatory part of yours, like this is the time to exit, you know? And of course, as a dude, he had never thought about it. He just assumed right. he was kids. And I was like, cool, figure out if you want them. Or not. <laughs> like, figure out if it's a priority, no judgment. I asked myself, what would I be missing out on? Okay. Um, I asked myself if, and I, I thought a lot about what's the call. Like that's a huge language that my family uses. I was raised in a faith system that used a lot of calling language.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And the definition I use is by a gentleman named Parker Palmer. And he says, your call is where your deepest joy meets the world's deepest need.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I realized that my deepest joy would never be to focus on one, on one person or two people, which is what I think parenthood is. Right. My deepest joy would be to be the backup system for everybody else. I love being the behind the scenes person. Jen Hatmaker uses the language bonus mom, which is now the language that my husband and I use. We are bonus parents for everybody. Yeah, We love being, um, we just love being that net for everybody else. And it just, yeah, it just feels more right. So I, yeah, I asked myself, what I, was I going to miss out on? And then I asked what I would do with the money that I would save by not having kids. <laughs>
0: That like couple hundred grand before you think about college. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I mean, I was a college
1: professor for a little while too. So, and I was a youth worker for a long time. And so I, you know, I saw all these things and I was like, you know what I'd really, really love to do is collect passport stamps and I'd love to see the world. And I don't know how to do that and have kids. So it was that kind of stuff. It was some pragmatic stuff, but then every once in a while, like I'll snuggle a baby and you know, like my uterus will, quibble a little and I'll look right. at my husband and say are we revisiting this and he's like this is not the call. Okay. Right. So and he's like you just you're getting you're getting swoony over a baby. You don't want to be a mom. Well, they
0: smell nice. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I I'm lucky enough to love a lot of moms that are super candid with me about how incredibly arduous it is. And yeah. my my parents never put pressure on me to give them grandchildren. Good. Never did that my mother from like I mean I started telling people I didn't want kids when I was 12. Like it just wasn't ever a part of me either, which helps some of this decision. And my mother's friends would be like, oh, my God, but she's not going to give you grandchildren. And my mother would be like, her happiness is my job. If her happiness does not include children, then I will go work. I will go volunteer at an orphanage. Like, what is this? Right. Like, what does have to be then, the, the yeah. link. Luckily my brother and his new wife are like, want kids and want a ton of them. So I get to be the best aunt on the planet, but
0: I love being the best aunt. So
1: <laughs> I can't wait. So yeah, I, I'm really, really blessed as yeah. part of the team that the rest of my family too gets it.
0: Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, it's awesome having that support. I want to touch on again, like what I think is so important is that you go revisit this decision yeah. periodically, whether it's because you've got a baby in your arms or not. Right. And I think, most decisions you should revisit. Yeah.
1: Like on a fairly regular basis. I mean, isn't that what we talk about with strategic planning and check in points? Yeah. Like personal ones. And I think to a certain extent, when you're in a serious relationship, like a long time partnership or a marriage, you should check back in on that too. Like, hey, is this still, are we still good? Is this still yeah. what we want? Are we still growing together? I think assumption is it's, the death of, of health. So,
0: yeah, I agree. I mean, it's something that I've done with my kids a couple times a year, two or three times a year. In the last several years and I do it with my team now quarterly, where like what's working, what's not working on a scale of one to ten, you know, where are we? Yep. What we get it to a ten. And it's just open, like there's no right or wrong. So no, be
1: authentic to about where we're at. Let's get a baseline yeah. so that we can do something with it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We set some goals over here. You know, did we actually make any of them? <laughs> yeah. 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 So, so I we- love that. So, have you always been a good delegator? I know no. it's hard for a lot of entrepreneurs. Oh my god, no!
1: I'm ter- I was terrible for a really long time, and I will say too, I am very lucky in that my DNA does not include control freak. So, i I was always that PhD student too. Like, I would have friends that like their editor, their supervisor would be like, "Oh my god, you have to get rid of five hundred words," and they would like weep over each one because they would. <laughs> yeah, I got it. And I was like, I don't care, slash it, it's gone. I think being raised by an entrepreneur actually really helps this. Because I saw that my dad tried to do everything himself and it literally like almost killed him. He had several heart events. He's been poorly for a lot of my life. And I saw that he, when he would delegate, he would do it. He didn't know how to identify the people he could delegate to. Cause you can't just delegate cause somebody's in front of you. Like you have to delegate, you have to trust and verify and delegate appropriately. And if he was here with me now, he would tell you he's never mastered that skill. Um, he, he sees potential in people too much. So he'll delegate to their potential, not to their current ability. Right. And I delegate to current ability, 100%. So I, I saw that I saw him be exhausted. And as I walked through college, I did event planning and youth work for a long time. And I think one of the things that those professions teach you is that no person can do it alone and you need tons and tons of things. And then as I got older and into my like late 20s, early 30s, and I looked around academia and kind of all these other things, I realized that we are all stronger when we know our limitations. Mm-hmm. And so I just got really comfortable saying, here's what I'm good at. Here's what I am unmitigatingly crap at. So let's find some people who are much better at that. And I could waste all my time trying to get better at these things, or we could just I could just keep going in what I'm really good at. I will never, ever be organized. Ever personally, professionally, and my brain amazing. I can rattle off my entire my client's entire profile like with mm-hmm. no bother. But my life is in piles. I would give Marie Kondo a heart attack. Like, <laughs> so one of the when my my friend and I went into business together, like she's a neat freak. I'm like Oscar and Felix. Like we are that in that way from the Odd Couple. And so we were both really honest. And I said, okay, this is what I need from you. And this is what I'm going to need to ask for grace from because I'm never going to be better at this. Right. And she said the same thing. She's like, this is what I need from you. And this is what you're going to have to put up with. Right. Aim and met in the middle. And so I think a huge first step to delegation, and this is what entrepreneurs don't do well, is understanding and coming to grace and grips with your own limitations.
0: I love that grace and grips people. Yeah. Like you have
1: to know, listen, this is who I am. Right. things I'd like to get better at but I'm not going to get better at those at the expense of the stuff I'm already good at. So you find people who are really great whether that's people that if you are not good at checking in on your mental health then you need a best friend or somebody not in your business but in your life who can look right. at you and be like right you're not okay. If you're terrible at taxes why are you doing your own?
0: Mhm. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I I support that like 1000%. It's and, so hard. Yeah. And I'm, I'm the first one with my clients and I'm sure, you know, you've done the same thing where it's like, all right, I can't afford it, but I'm going to hire somebody because I need, and I refer to it as being in your zone of genius. Like you want, yep. and and yeah, when you're getting started, you're wearing a gazillion hats, but yep. try to stay in the things that you're doing, you know, that are your assets and let the other stuff. Yep.
1: And my dad, when he was first starting, so he bought a company, he didn't start anything from scratch, but he bought a failing company and then turned it around. He has since bought other companies. That's how we've grown is through MA. and Abbey Research is the first one we're creating from the ground up. So it's a grand experiment as well, kind of on my family's part of like where this was our first business in the service industry. Everything else is manufacturing widgets yes, right. of some fashion. And this is also the first one we're starting from the ground up. Everything mm-hmm. else has been MA. and And so he did everything and I didn't see him for most of elementary school. I mean, he slept overnight in the factory if he could go off. He did all of it. But what he has said always is that he could do everything because fundamentally he was comfortable with the numbers. Right. Like he was really comfortable. He's an accountant by trade and things like that. So when he gives advice to new entrepreneurs, the thing he says, that if you are really good at everything, but the numbers, the numbers is the first thing you outsource. You need to get a bookkeeper. You need to get an accountant. You need to get a VA who will understand. Yeah. You have to do everything. Yes. You should never, ever, ever not have a lawyer's eyes or an accountant's eyes on your numbers and your books. Right. And so those are the things you outsource first. He gets really stressed out that more and more people now are like the very first thing they're outsourcing is like sales and marketing and they're trying to do their own books. He's like, no, 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 no. The very first thing you outsource is your books. Right. If you take out a business, a small business loan, then like the
0: first thing is your books. So yeah, absolutely. You've got to know your numbers.
1: Oh yeah. And if you don't know your numbers, like I'm, I'm not great with numbers. It's a real growth area for me. You get real humble and you look at somebody you trust and you say, teach me this. Right. I don't understand what a, what a PNL is. Walk me through it.
0: Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think for most entrepreneurs, that is a growth place, but it is the one place, even if you're outsourcing your bookkeeping, like you've got to know your numbers. And, and I think particularly with the sales and marketing, like it's, yeah, you want to kind of dump that, but that's where your story comes from. Mm -hmm. Like that's, usually a huge part of who you and the business are. So yeah. you can't grow into having a sales team or hire somebody to do social media, but it's gotta be you first.
1: Yeah. Like I know some really great social media managers yeah. and, and there are days that I would love to dump it on them. But then I realized that like, that's actually still how we're honing our message. Mm-hmm. Like I like having complete control over our fonts and our posting and everything else, because then even though it's not the thing that is like making the dollars every single day, we get to test, like we're launching a new course in a couple of weeks. And I mean, we think the messaging is really strong, but the audience is who's telling us that there's little tweaks that need to be needed. The questions we're getting asked in our Facebook DMs are helping us be like, oh, so this word made sense to us, but it doesn't make sense to you. So let's fix that. Right. And if we had a social, for us, if we had a social media marketer, I'd lose touch with our clients. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I think that's something that is, it seems very big and shiny on the internet. Like, Oh, you need to outsource to a BA and to a social media marketer and everything else. Not necessarily outsourcing and delegating are two different things.
0: Yes, definitely. Definitely. I love that. How do you, or do you have a process too for, for determining like those weeks you said that like maybe you need to have, um, like your mom do the groceries or, um, have the cleaner come in. I presume you're pretty, your calendar's pretty scheduled. So
1: how do you yeah <laughs> um I'm very very famous for not for like the stuff like that like I'm not super great at asking for help until it's a little bit too late. Okay. Like I'll look at my husband and be like, "Oh my god, I'm so overwhelmed." And he and he'll just like, you know, nod for a couple seconds and he goes, "Okay, so what what are you giving someone?" And I'll be like, "Well, I gave them this and I gave them this." He goes, "Well, clearly that wasn't enough because you're still overwhelmed. So what else can you give?" You know. Right. Okay. Um, there are other weeks where I'm really great and I know immediately. I mean if I'm traveling for more than five days, mm-hmm. I know that either my husband or my mother has to deal with our food. I can't, and my husband, it, like he cleans the house, he does all the laundry, he does all of that, and so, and we have a we have a really small outside that we don't really have to manage, which helps um, in terms of our home. So there's some things like that it's an area I'm still growing in I still get stressed and like right. I'll be really really stressed and somebody will be like why are you so stressed just ask someone for help And I'll be like oh yeah I can do that
0: but um, that's what I think I really like and um you know but what you're saying is is that you can acknowledge that you're stressed or you're overwhelmed or you've got too much on your plate and then you're reaching out to somebody mm-hmm. like hey I got too much on my plate help me figure yeah. it out
1: Oh yeah, I was diagnosed at 18 with a generalized anxiety disorder, and I have been on medication ever since. And one of the things that I have learned about that means that my brain is not trustworthy. So it is not always it is it is genius, and I'm really really proud of the work that it produces. Mm-hmm. But brains are for having ideas and not for keeping them. And right. when you keep them in there too long, they become toxic yeah. and messy. And so I have to have talking out partners. I have to.
0: Yeah. And well, they create these. Fabricated stories. 100%. Right. And then that story becomes a truth to your brain. Yep. So, yeah. And overwhelm and confusion are really just stories. Yep. So, yeah.
1: And there are, yeah. And most of the time when I'm really, really, really anxious about something, like I know my anxiety is absolutely off the charts. Yeah. Um, it's because I haven't paused.
0: Okay. Wow. You've given so much. I love this. I love this. So, what do you do to pause? Like what's your pause?
1: sorry about my phone ringing in the background. Um, what's my pause. That's such a great question. I am, I have some really fierce, but small boundaries. So like for instance, when I, I travel frequently and whenever I'm flying, I don't do work on a plane or in the airport. And so at that point is a pause. Um, I have a structured pause at the end of every week, either last thing, last thing on Friday or first thing on Monday, where I go back through my bullet journal and I look at what I haven't done. Okay. Uh, And I say, I'm not checked off. Um, and I say, okay, is that still worth doing? Was that like a fleeting thought? (laughs) Does it still fit in the plan? Right. And those are kind of my reflection pauses in terms of like really resting. Um, for me, it has to happen in pajamas on my couch playing a video game or listening to an audiobook.
0: Okay. And longer favorite video ones, game. I love video. games. What, love what's them. your favorite one?
1: Right now I'm playing one called stardew Valley. Okay. My favorite of all time is uh, dragon age. Okay.
0: Very cool. And so,
1: um, yeah. And then every, about every six weeks I need to have a longer break and then hmm. I need to leave the country once a year.
0: Uh, I just started doing, it's funny. You mentioned that every six weeks I take a three or four day weekend. Mm. I mean, sometimes it's the seventh week, but like my, that's the way I've scheduled it out because I love doing really intense sprints in my work, but I can't do a whole quarter like that. And I don't want exactly. to. i awesome. get and yeah. and So it's nice to hear that you do that or something. Yeah. That six week piece is great.
1: Six weeks is, yeah, I think six weeks is really important. And the other thing I do too, and this is something that frequent travelers do and academics do. So I always tell people if you are going anywhere, find something in that trip that brings you joy. So like, Mm -hmm. I love eating new food. So if I'm going to a new place and I don't know anyone there and I, I go on like Google and I find the best eatery and I make myself a reservation. Um, so there's like tiny, and like every academic will tell you they get accepted at a conference. The first thing they do is email people they know in that town and schedule dinner. Like, so you, for business trips too and draw, you know, draw your own boundaries like that. Like my next one I have is in Kansas City and I have friends that I'm going to see that I haven't seen in ages. So that's a big pause for me, but I'm an extrovert and I draw energy from people. Yeah. If introvert, you draw energy from yourself, then that's going to look like a different pause. But I have got to stop the tape that's in my brain that says that I have to be productive all the time and remind myself that rest is also productive.
0: Right. Because that's where the creativity comes from. So, yeah. I, love I love that. You know, I want to thank you because you've shared so much. If somebody wanted to reach out to you, where can they connect with you?
1: That's such a great question. So we are all over social media, i.e. that I don't have anyone else manage. We're on everything <laughs> with Snapchat because that scares us. So the best way the I manage our Instagram all the time and I'm there. So all of our social media handles are Abby, A-B-B-E-Y research.
0: Awesome.
1: Um, reach us out there. Um, our website, all that kind of stuff. But if you um, follow us on Twitter, Facebook or Instagram, you'll get a hold of us real quick.
0: Awesome. Thank you. And thank you for coming out and hanging with me today too. I really, this was so much fun. Yeah, it was totally fun.
1: Like, like just constantly do this. I love talking to you.
0: I'm going to have to have you come back on a little bit later in the the show period because I think you have so much to offer and you're just so fun.
1: I know. I love chatting with you. Thank you.
0: Yeah, same, same. And everybody have an amazing day and we'll catch you next week. Have you ever thought about those times when if you had just known that one thing, it would have saved you hundreds, if not thousands of dollars, or maybe days, weeks, or even months of your time? I've created the Tribe of Leaders Membership Community for exactly that reason, to give you the tools, the resources, and the support to make growing your business a snap. As a member, you'll have access to video training, live monthly training and masterminds and special co-working days that will help you run your business like the CEO that you are. You can get all the details at thetribeofleaders.com. See you there.